Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dentsu Invest Podcast. An exciting one today, a bit of a turn from our usual content. Hyper useful to dentists, especially useful to dentists, because we're gonna talk about finance and profitability, but within clinical dentistry and more specifically implants. And I'm joined today by Dr. Pav Kara, well-known face, face of the Dental Implant Podcast, of course, which you guys will have seen, no doubt, before at least the implant fans in the audience. And I'm so excited today to learn everything and anything about implants because I still find this stuff fascinating. I still do to this very day. Pav, how are you? I'm very good, James. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yes, it's. Uh, uh, I am the face of, unfortunately, I'm the face of... <laughs> The voice, the voice was a better term, maybe. The voice, yeah. <laughs> I'm still not the intro voice, unfortunately. You've heard that, right? That's uh, that's uh, that's the master of uh, of uh, that we call Morgan Freeman. Uh, I'm not going to lie; it's not actually Morgan Freeman, but it's a damn good impersonator for him. Uh, and I've actually had several people who were like, "What is that? Really not Morgan Freeman? Like, <laughs> you think I can afford to hire Morgan Freeman? I wish I could." <laughs> That's cool. You know what? I need to up my game when it comes to intros because that was a particularly cool one. Yeah. Anyway, Pav, there'll be some people out there who know you and some people who are yet to meet you. Maybe it might be nice if you did a little bit of an intro for those people in the latter category. Yep, no problem. So um, I graduated from uh, Guy's Hospital back in 2002. Well, technically, I entered it when it was UMDS, so it was Guy's and St. Thomas's. In inverted commas, merged with Kings in our second year and um uh, and uh, and graduated in 2002 uh i did a lot of uh different courses you name the course i've probably done it okay so i've done mike wise's restorative course i've done chris all's aesthetics course uh, i've done hands-on courses on veneers uh with david bloom on you know i went across to um, uh, went across to America to learn from Frank Spear, Howard Chaslin. I did courses on acupuncture, sedation, and it just got to the point where, and it was something personal for me. My grandfather in his later years, he wanted me to help give him fixed teeth. This was before I was placing implants. And I was really, really close to my grandfather, but I didn't know how to do it. And he disclosed with me quite a personal secret is he turned around and said that, look, he said, he said, I can't eat with the family. He said, because my teeth hurt so much. He said, I've got to take my food into my own room so I can take my teeth out and eat by myself. That's kind of like what spurred me to, to, to start down the implant route. So in my mind now, every every patient that I help either directly or indirectly is, is, is in his memory. But kind of like over the years, is I've started to gravitate, not graduate, I started to <laughs> gravitate more towards implants. And that's kind of like all I do now. So over the years, it's uh, I've done, again, a number of different courses. Uh, got my MCO and Dent in implantology. I've uh, been very, very fortunate to uh, land in a position in, in a, with a company where all we do is full arch all day, every day. Um, I do that four days a week and one day a week I teach mentor or do singles and uh, that type of stuff. So I am on my podcast, I refer to myself and for those who are as passionate as myself as titanium nerds. So I was, I'm as titanium nerdy as they come. They don't come any titanium nerd, nerdier than myself. So that's, that's kind of like my, hist uh, that's kind of like my background. I am, uh, I'm, I'm now at a point where 
you know, I can do full arches proficiently, zygomatics, um, uh, uh, quads. I'm, 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 I'm getting more and more into as well, um, and I'm really quite comfortable with pretty much all aspects of uh, of surgery. It gets to the point where when you're immersed in it that much, it just kind of like you start to enter flow state, and that's when you know that you're doing something right. And that's kind of like, I'm fortunate to have been exposed to enough of it that that's kind of like where I am in my work now. Titanium nerds, I love it. I was trying to think of the finance equivalent, and it would be fin nerd, but it, it, it yeah. isn't quite as cool as the titanium nerds. The titanium nerds, I like that. You know, here's the thing about courses. So, when you go on a course or when you read yep. a book on a subject, what you have to remember is that is the distilled knowledge of the person who either authored that book or who has designed the course. Right now, the thing about it is, when you come to distilled knowledge, how that looks in reality to attain that level of ability or understanding is reading an absolute flipping ton of stuff over many years to get to that point where they have that level of refinement and also testing things out. And this is a really cool thing about courses and how I look at them is that you can learn it effectively in maybe like two days, what it probably took someone years to learn. But here's the one thing. If we go on one course about one specific thing, it means that you have this one little window into the reality of how to undertake that procedure. The more courses you go on, you actually get to see it from all these different angles. You have all these different windows and think of it like a sphere or a football. If you have one sphere into the football, you can see a lot. You can see what's in front of you, but you can't see what's actually closest to the window. You can't see the information. You can't see everything that's in there. Are you with me? When you have other windows, you can see other sides. And what it means is you can pull out the best bits and throw it all together in your practice and also in your own courses and your own programs as well. And that's why I'm a huge proponent of just flipping, throwing yourself at something like what you've done basically when it comes to implants. Mm -hmm. So hats off mate, well, well-deserved title of Titani nerds. Uh, so respect on that one. And then that leads us very nicely into what we're going to talk about in this podcast today, which is implants, but with a little bit of a twist, how anybody, can make it more profitable in their practice. And what we have to remember is the reason why I love podcasts like this is the information is so actionable. You can okay. listen to myself and Pav for about 30, 40 minutes and have things that you can take into clinic literally tomorrow and use to become more profitable. And here's the thing, it's not about having all this money so you can be like, yeah, look at all this dosh that I have. It's about being more efficient, putting the same amount of time in and being remunerated to a higher level just because you make more money doesn't mean that you have to charge the patients more money. It can be just a case that you're more efficient with your time. And then what that means for you is you can reinvest it back into the practice, make it better, do whatever you want. Taking money is all about intention. And I'm really interested to hear how you personally go about this today, Pav. Let's jump straight in. Let's talk about efficiency, which is what I hinted at just then. There's always ways that every dentist can take their efficiency to the next level. What have you seen? What are the things that you see daily that dentists could improve? Let's talk about outside of the procedures. Let's talk about outside of clinically for the moment, maybe just surrounding the dental surgery, front of house, blah, 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 stuff like that. What are the things that you see, the things that if you had a magic wand, you could just wish you could just go out there and fix them in every dental practice. Yeah, so um, probably one of the first things is, uh, and I notice this a lot as a, as a peripatetic surgeon, so I, I go, I used to go from practice to practice, is you get some practices where, you know, the staff are really, really good at priming the patient before they come in to see me. Mm -hmm. 
and other practices, they weren't so great at priming the patients to come in to see me, which meant that I, sometimes I'd be in a mixed practice. A patient would come in to see me for a, uh, a an implant consultation and uh, the um, the patient firstly they wouldn't be suitable because they'd have perio in their mouth so it's like you know firstly you need to go see a hygienist and secondly you'd spend 20 30 minutes speaking to the patients about implants and um and you you, you give them uh, you say oh what do you think and the patient's like oh yeah this is great you know how much and then you hit them with a the fee and they're like oh but i don't pay for my treatment because they think they can get it on the NHS exempt. You know, so one of the main things that you can do is, is have a little bit of training to your staff so that we, we are, the patients are primed coming in so that they know approximately, they don't have to know the full ins and outs of it, but they should, they should know approximately what an implant is, kind of like how long it's going to take in total, kind of a ballpark uh, figure. So a lot, of, a lot of dentists will turn around and say to them that, you know, oh, we can't give you a figure without seeing you. Ah, no, you know, you can't give an accurate figure without seeing somebody, okay? You can give them a ballpark figure. So you can turn around and say to them, look, assuming your case is relatively straightforward, it's going to be between this and this. If it's more complicated, the fees are going to go up, okay? So what will happen then is that in, it, that in itself will, um, uh, will uh, increase efficiency because you're 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 wasting less time with patients patients kind of like already come in knowing what you want to do but for those patients where they can't afford it or that it's, it's not what they thought it was going to be they've already been weeded out i think the next step above and beyond that as well is making sure that you you need to be you need to understand the theory you need to be 100 percent confident with it as well so that you can treatment plan effectively and efficiently Okay. This means that when you're doing a treatment plan, it should take you five, 10 minutes. That's it. You know, I can quite often now look at a case and in my mind, it's just gone ping. This is what exactly what we need to do. Now I'm not saying have five minute consultations with your, uh, uh, with your patients, but what happens is as soon as I, I, I look at, as soon as I look at a patient, uh, uh, is I've got a pretty decent idea of my, my mind what I'm going to do without having to to fully work it up and the same comes from treatment planning as well so I have kind of uh, pro formers that I use and the pro formers are editable which means for me to get a um, a completely bespoke uh, consent form and treatment plan out out to a patient is a three four minute job you know but that patient that that, that letter is several pages long it is very very comprehensive so from my aspect is is just making sure that you know it's it's all right going into a practice if that practice doesn't know anything about implants you're immediately starting it's like trying to ice skate uphill so there has to be a level of education within the staff and then within um uh, uh, uh then within you need to be confident in your treatment planning as well and obviously that treatment plan it starts with the basics so it's like oh it's it, it, it's a single tooth, it's a healed site. This is kind of like what I'm going to need to do. But over time and with experience and with more training is that should start to extrapolate out to more complicated treatments as well. You should be able to, you know, a, a good surgeon can look at something and eyeball it and have an 85, 90% rough idea what needs to be done just from a quick glance. I'm not advocating that that's how you treatment plan. I'm saying you need to have that level of confidence that, okay, I know this works. I know that doesn't work. We need to do this, this, and this. This is kind of like the, the the treatment that I've got going on in my mind. So it's it's, it's keeping the, the 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 overall planning effective as well, as opposed to going home and writing treatment plans for three hours every single night. It's not the right way to do it. You should be spending time with your family, not writing treatment plans. One hundred percent. And it's easy for that stuff on the back end to suck up your flipping all your time effectively. Yeah. You know what? One when, when I was uh, working in my very first 
dental practice, there's a guy that came in and it was NHS, or at least it was like 98% NHS. And this guy came in and he wanted implants because he'd lost all his teeth. And the receptionist said, oh, well, it would be a private treatment. It wouldn't be available on the NHS. And the guy got indignant as, as patients tend to do sometimes when they don't have this priming that you're talking about. And he said, but how much does it actually cost him to make these things? 50p, something like that. And I was like, dude, <laughs> this is this is sometimes what we're up against a little yeah. bit, you know, but the things that you're talking about are going to overcome that, help overcome that. And particularly as well, actually, as a peripatetic dentist, when you're working in practices that don't actually do implants normally and you stepped in there on a on a as just a one-off thing, I can imagine that that's something that you come up against. Let's so have a half day training session with those practices. Okay. Explain <laughs> to the staff, kind of like, this is what it is. So it's clear in their minds. Got you, got you, got you, got you. Let's step into the chair. Now let's step into the surgery. Yep. What things, these are the hyper useful things. Okay. That are really, really, really specific and granular to what we do on a day to day basis. Let's step into the surgery. Let's look at treatment planning procedures from the dentist perspective. What are the things that you often see that you just wish you could improve, wish you could help dentists with in order to achieve more efficiency? Sorry, just uh, just ask that slightly different way so I understand, make sure I understand it. Oh, all I meant was, so let's talk about procedurally and clinically, like yeah. when you're working with a dentist on how their treatment plan in their cases or yeah. the actual procedures themselves, yeah. how they can be more efficient yeah. in order to minimize time and yep. therefore increase profitability. Okay. Is that a so, little clear? Yes, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So whenever you start a new procedure, you're always gonna be slow at it, okay? Always, always, always. The first implant that I did, um, it was a single implant, healed site, took me three hours to do, and the implant was completely unusable because it was in because it was in the wrong position, okay? Okay, now oh, that's, right, yeah. yeah. Now mm -hmm. that same implant would probably take me six minutes to do, patient wow. in there but it's taken me 15, 16 years to get to the point. And it's taken, it's also taken me 250,000 pounds worth of education to get to the point where I can do it in six minutes. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's, it partly comes down to building confidence with your education, making sure that you understand it. And this goes back to one thing that, 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 that we spoke about previously is if you, if you go on a, if you go on, on an, an implant course, which is sponsored by a particular implant company is you're not, you're not going to say anything bad about that implant company, right? All of a sudden that implants a best, everything else is a load of rubbish. That's not how implants work. Okay. You need a true deep understanding of all aspects of implants, of all different implants so that you can understand, well, you know, okay, this works here, this works here, and I can use this like this and, and this like this. So you should be able to chop and change. Can I just jump in just for 10 yeah. seconds there? It's yeah. always such an interesting coincidence that when you attend those sorts of courses that they do the independent studies and it just yes. so happened that that brand came out on top. How interesting yes. is that? What a always the case. Always the case. <laughs> Yeah. So you. So what will happen is the more you educate yourself, the less of that marketing bullshit will be shouting in your ear. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you'll become more confident in your treatment planning, irregardless of what of what implant system that you're using. And you need to truly understand your implant system. Okay. When you understand your implant system and you start to do it on a daily basis, you do it day by day by day by day by day. You start to build up muscle memory and this is something that i've spoken about in my podcast quite a long time okay but james this is true of any aspect of dentistry okay mm -hmm. when we uh, were at university right it used to take us an 
hour and a half to do an occlusal amalgam. Yeah. Three yeah, yeah, hours yeah. the first time around. My no, first I, my first filling, class yeah. five, GIC, okay. The guy had nine millimeter recession, right? And it was at the <laughs> cervical margin. One and a half hours, something crazy yeah. like that. I yeah. remember. <laughs> and then you're so proud by the time you get to uh, uh, graduation that, you know, you can do an occlusal amalgam in an hour. Then you get thrown into the lion's den of NHS dentistry where you're given 10 minutes to do it, okay? And, it, and you just build up that proficiency over time. It doesn't happen instantly, okay? The same is true with crown preps, endo, absolutely everything. So what I would say is don't bash yourself if you're new to this, okay? But if you're not new to this, you should be starting to see your placements becoming more precise and, and, and faster as well, okay? So this goes back to the second aspect that I was talking about is that knowledge will not only help you with your treatment planning, that knowledge will also help you with your implant placement as well because you're not double guessing yourself during surgery. You're not looking at it and going, what am I supposed to be doing here? Am I doing this right? Is this deep enough? Is this at the correct angle? You're looking at it and you're going, yeah, that's where I want to be. Bang, put the implant in, stitches in, and you're done. Okay. And that comes, again, it just comes with experience. You just got to, you just got to do enough of them and have enough confidence. And the confidence comes from, uh, from, from knowledge and repetition effectively. So for me, those are kind of like the two, the two aspects which are important up to the point of placing implants. But then the same become, you need the same level of efficiency when it comes to restoring implants as well. For the sake of simplicity, let's talk about a straightforward single implant, okay? Let's not talk about anything complicated, okay? Is I've got friends and colleagues where they'll turn around and they'll say to me, I book 45 minutes to an hour for, um, uh, for uh, impression of the implant. And they said, I'll book another 45 minutes for when the crown comes back so that I can fit it. And I'm sat there scratching my head because for me to do an impression, I book out half an hour. And of that half an hour, I'm twiddling my thumbs for 10, 15 minutes because I'm finished. And then when it comes to fit is, you know, I'm going to book out half an hour for a fit, but it actually only takes me about 15 minutes to do. I always book out a little bit longer in case you get thrown a curveball that you need to deal with. That's all that it is. And again, I think that comes down to, I'm not being arrogant when I say that I can do it that quickly. I'm just saying that, you know, I understand what I need to do. I understand my implant system and I've done it enough times that I've, that I've built up that, that muscle memory. Now, when you put in the impression, the impression coping on the implant, it locks in in a certain way. That's how you know that it is. And to start with, you, you, you don't know what it feels like. But then after a time, you can do it with your eyes closed and you know because it comes down to muscle memory and repetition. So what I'd say to everybody is, you know, don't jump from one implant system to another, to another, to another, just because you get, you know, a free surgical kit with 10, 15 implants that you place. Pick a system that you like and, you know, practice with it and get quicker and, uh, and more efficient at it. So those are like uh, uh, some of the, the, the main things that I think um, uh, really needs to be done. So for me, the overall clinical time uh, for a single implant, including impressions and fit, should be no more than an hour and 45 minutes for everything, wow. including, okay. including the surgery. So that's that surgery. Uh, impressions and um, uh, and the fit as well. Accumulate that all together, hour and 45. It's more than enough. Interesting. You yeah. know what, Pav? Something just popped into my head when you were talking there. Implants, not my forte by any means. I, knew, I know the bare minimum about them to get by. I know how to probe them or at least, well, the implantologists tell me that you shouldn't probe them really if they look healthy. Am I right in saying that? 
it's, it's a bit more intricate than that. But okay. It's, there's, and there's a number of different schools of thought. I probe them. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Because I've heard people say both, and then I've heard people say plastic probes. Anyway, we digress entirely. Yeah. So my 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 realm of knowledge would be more restorative. And I yeah. talk to dentists sometimes about how much they're charging for a crown, and I hear such a disparity, okay? Some dent, I've heard people charging private crowns 250 quid, okay? Yeah. All the way up to 1,200, right? For Emacs's posteriorly. Let's take the same conversation and talk about implants. Let's take exactly the same conversation and then turn it towards implants. Is there like a bare minimum? Is there any rules of thumb that you can give dentists on charging appropriately? Yeah, the, the, there's no rules of thumb. What I, would, what I would say to you is the average cost of an implant is floats around two and a half thousand pounds for everything. And ironically, it's been that for about 20 years. Okay. <laughs> inflation into consideration, you know, is, is that actually being, being eroded? um uh, you know but on, on on average it's you know it's, it's anywhere between 2200 on average and you know up to about 2600 approximately mm. there's no lower there's no lower limit so what i know a lot of people do um a lot of the cheaper clinics as well is they'll charge ridiculously low fee for the implant but uh, and that's to get the patient in through the door they'll turn around and say oh the implant's 700 pounds but you got to pay for the cover screw, the heating abutment, pickup abutment, abutment, uh, the the crown, any bone grafting. You know, got You got to pay for stitches from some of, in in some of these clinics as well. And by the time you add it all together, it's almost at the same cost. So then what you got is you got you got an upset patient who thought they were only going to pay seven hundred and fifty quid for it. Now it's come out. Uh, now it's come out at, at, at two grand. So, and this comes back to what we were saying a few minutes ago. Okay, if you want to drop your fees, there's no point. There's no, there's no harm in doing that. But it's better to do that when you're quick with it because your hourly rate is maintained or improved. You know, so if you, if you get faster at something, you can afford to do it a little bit cheaper to do more of them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. I've, I've done the opposite. I've gotten faster, but I charge more as well because I'm damn confident at what I'm doing. Here's the thing. I, I actually feel that if you're able to do it faster, is there not a school of thought that says you might be able to charge more because the value is higher if you think about it? Patients yep. want to be in the chair for the minimum amount of time possible. They want the job done, but they also want to be in the chair for the minimum, minimum amount of time possible. If someone takes a tooth out in two minutes versus 30 minutes, right? Yep. To me, the two minute thing is the two minute one is more valuable because <laughs> it's, it's done like me. that. Yeah, same for me. It, 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 sh it, it shows experience. The proviso being is assuming that the clinical outcomes are, are good. Right. We're, yes. we're, we're not talking about cutting corners for the sake of cutting corners and to, no, to drop no, clinical no, no. care. We're talking about maintaining or improving standards, but 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 doing it quicker. And yes, I'd I'd be the same. You know, if I needed a procedure and somebody said to me, I can do it better and faster, but you're gonna pay more, I'd say go for it. You know. Here's here's one quick thing before we move on. You know, in dentistry, right? Fee, let's set the fee aside. I mean, let's say you're charging seventeen hundred for an implant, let's say you're charging three grand for an implant, right? To a lot of people, that's a lot of money either way, right? Now, here's the thing in dentistry. The patient is actually only ever upset about the cost if it doesn't work. You ever yeah. notice that? That's when they throw it back in your face and they yeah. say, hey, that didn't, I paid all this money and it didn't work, right? Now, if you're really slick at implants, right? The, your failure rate is, you'll know better than me, but let's say it's like 0.1% or it's very low, okay? Now I have no, I just pulled that number out of the air. I'm sure there's some stats on that somewhere, okay? Yeah. So think about it like this, right? 
If you're really, really, really good at implants, let's say your failure rate is 0.1%, right? Let's say you're charging someone 1700 versus three and a half thousand, right? You're still going to get the same complaint rate, okay? Because yeah. almost irrespective of the price, yeah? Yeah. Those 0.1% of people would have complained either way. And I'm not saying we should all rush out and change your prices. It's just another way of looking at things. You with me? Do you know what's really interesting is most of my complaints came from uh, the patients who I charge less for. Yeah, because sometimes what they do I is... I don't know why. I think, I think I know the answer on that because sometimes they put two and two together and get five. And what I mean yeah. by that is they think this guy cut corners because he did me a favor. Anywho, food for thought. Let's move swiftly on to the, we, we wanted to talk about soft skills as well, Pat. Yes. Yeah. Soft skills. How do we present implants as treatment options to the patients? How do we do that? So, it, uh, you know, soft skills are, are really, really important. And this is something that uh, historically I struggle with because my personality type is that I'm, I'm that director type personality. Okay. I'm like bullet point it. That's all I need to know. Don't waste any more of my time. And historically that's kind of like what I've done with patients and patients will be like, wow, that was like no information at all. Um, and you know, it's a lot of the soft skills now is I try to spend a lot longer in the procedure talking about the pleasant. Now I'm, I'm a really big introvert as well. Okay. It's like, um, you know, is it's like lockdown was heaven for me because it was just like I was one of these people that you know as they were talking about lifting lockdown I was getting anxiety because I was like oh crap I'm gonna have to actually start to interact with people again okay <laughs> uh, so for me making small talk it's really really difficult but it's not about me it's about the patients and it's really important to the patients okay because for me it's just an implant it's just like okay it's it's my two o'clock appointment on a Wednesday afternoon but for the patient it might be I'm really nervous about going to the patient, uh, going to the dentist, and he's cutting into my head, and he's going to put a screw into my head. You know, they need to make sure that that they are comfortable with the person that's doing it for them. And the only way that they can build up that rapport and that trust is for your soft skills to be appropriate as well. And you start to, when you do this enough, you start to judge from the patients quite quickly, kind of like um, what what their personality type is. Okay. Some people like a lot of information. Some people uh, like me just want the bullet points. Other people, they want a long appointment, but they don't really want to talk about the procedure. They want to know what you're doing this weekend and where you're going on holiday and, and things like that. So it's tailoring it to, uh, to, the, um, uh, to the patient, okay? But that also means effective communication in how you're speaking to the patients about the procedure as well okay and this is i think this is a really big block that dentists get themselves into not only with implants but all other aspects of dentistry as well okay they talk about the procedure too much okay so true. And they try to do the consent in that entire process as well so it's like okay you want an implant let me bullet point all the pros let me bullet point all the all the cons let me go through all the all of the alternatives and let me go through everything that may go wrong and all of a sudden patients like i wanted a fixed tooth and now you've told me that i'm you know i may have nerve damage and i may go numb forever and you've lost them, okay? Whereas what you need to know is you, is you need to find out why does the patient want this? Why is it important to them? You know, it, it might be as simple, and I've had this before, where people have come to me and turned around, and, and, and there was one lady quite recently, actually, she said, she said, I need to have implants. And I said to her, why do you need to have implants? And she goes, my daughter's getting married. She's embarrassed of my smile. And she said, I'm not allowed to come to the wedding unless I have my teeth done, right? So now I know what's important to her. I'm not using that to manipulate her, but I need to understand what's important to her so that because 
if I say to her, yes, fantastic, let's get it done, and we talk about this, but I don't get it done in time for her daughter's wedding so she can actually go, she's going to be unhappy, but the outcome clinically is still going to be the same for her, right? So don't overwhelm the patients too much with too much clinical jargon. Your conversation should be pleasant. It should be short and succinct. Um, and they should be using patient-friendly languages. You Google, you know, uh, dental implants and find out whatever, what, whatever um, websites come up and look at how many of these websites start talking about drilling into the jawbone and putting screw, titanium screws into the jaws. Patients don't want to know that, right? They don't need to know that. They need to know it's the best thing that we can give them to having their own natural tooth back once their tooth's been removed. Not that I'm going to cut you open. I'm going to drill into your jaw. I'm going to squeeze this titanium screw in. And by the way, when I squeeze this titanium screw in, I may cause you permanent nerve damage. It's patient-unfriendly language. We need to use patient-friendly language. And then what you can do is using that patient-friendly language, you can prime them again for what may happen in the future. So I will turn around and I say to my patients, look, the only thing that I can promise you is I will do the very best that I can for you. So I can't promise you that this procedure is going to work. I said, because 1% of the implants that I place don't take. I said, I, I said, sometimes we can figure out why, other times we can't figure out why. I said, if we can't figure out why, we wait for it to heal, we'll go back in and do it. Every time that we do it, there's a 1% risk that, uh, that, that, you're, uh, that, that the implant's going to be rejected by your body. Said, if you don't like the sound of that, it's really simple. Don't have the procedure done. Then occasionally when it happens, then the patients are just like, oh, well, you know what? You said this might happen. It's, it's, they're never 100% happy with it, but at least it's kind of like they're primed for it. Can I just jump in two seconds on that one? Here's the one thing I used to say to my patients all the time. And it's, it's a really nice way of reframing everything. And I say, listen, there's only one thing that's for sure. If we don't do anything, everything stays the same. Oh, they're on board straight away. They're like, doc. You've totally put that in language that I can understand. I totally yeah. see now that we got to do something. What are my options, yeah. right? And then I say, absolutely, right? The chance, this is this is one's going to be, you know, root canal extraction monitor, right? Whatever that is, whatever we decide to do, you know, and the, this way, there's a chance, the best chance possible that we can get you the result that you want. And they love that. And we don't have to go into the flipping million, billion, trillion things that you can say. Yeah. All the ins and outs. They just want to know the outcome. People just want to know yeah. the outcome. Come and you're totally yeah. buying on that dentists were so detail oriented and, and we love yeah. procedures. We actually yeah. love procedures. Okay. Yeah. And we love pro formas and all of that stuff, right? <clears throat> and that speaks because that's how we think. That slips through into our descriptive language to the patient. Yes. Patients don't want to know. <clears throat> they just no, want to know what the outcome is. And if you can you tell them they say like that lady for her daughter's wedding, and then what you can say is what this will mean is that you'll have fixed teeth, and when you attend your daughter's wedding, you'll be able to smile. Yeah, absolutely. Something like that. Yeah. With confidence, if you want to chuck that in as well. So they, that's, that's, that's brilliant. And you see that one little thing that I promise your, your amount of patience, the amount of patience that you're able to serve through your skills will literally skyrocket by these little tiny tweaks in our language. Yeah. Anything else to say on that one, Pav, before I jumped in there? Sorry. Uh, no, I, I, again, you know, soft skills is, it's not taught at university. It's not something that comes naturally for me, but they're, they're, they're probably as important, if not more important than the hard skills. Because if you don't have the soft skills, you're not going to be doing the technical work anyway, because patients won't like you. They won't want to have it done. <laughs> well, this, this is the thing about dentistry as well. You know, you can be a god of implants and the odd implant won't work. 
right? Yeah. And then that's when you, some patients will perceive that as you not being clinically adept, yeah. even though they've had that explained to them. And the plan B in that case is the rapport yeah. you have between them yeah. effectively. So that's why for every single patient, always sewing, if you, if you can do it naturally, if that's who you are, okay. Yeah. And for those out there who it doesn't come to so naturally, sowing those seeds of rapport, it's 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 a smart thing to do on yeah. many different levels. So food for thought. We talked about preventing problems yeah. earlier when we were talking about efficiency, because that yeah. is obviously that something le- that leads to us being more efficient. Yeah. What about when we've actually placed implants? What steps can we take during the procedures to ensure that the longevity of the implant is as long as possible? And we've basically prevented problems prospectively as well what gives those best implants their longevity okay so i think what's the best way what's the best way to explain this i think it's just studying and understanding the art and science to a ridiculously high level let me let me explain this now okay so okay yeah brilliant yeah so what happens is when you when when we first learn to place implants it's normally you get you know a lot of private courses are you go once uh, once every few weeks over 12 months and it's kind of like okay you know enough to do the basics kind of like off you go and then a lot of people start placing implants and they don't really do that much more education afterwards okay a lot of the tips and tricks that i've learned to improve my success rates and improve my longevity is because i've done a really deep deep dive into the uh, science behind it okay and uh, there's an old adage where people turn around and say you give a good implant surgeon a screw for from B&Q, we can make it work. That's true, okay? And if you give a, 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 an inexperienced surgeon the most expensive implant on the planet, they're not gonna be able to make it work. Again, true, because it's not just the implant itself, it's how it's executed. It's the, it's the it's depending on what you're doing, it's the medications that you prescribe before, during and after the procedure, okay? It's how, it's how you suture and how you tie the sutures and how much strength you put into the sutures as you're doing it. It's your drilling protocol that when you're drilling and you're getting tactile feedback from the bone, it's okay, it feels like this. I'm therefore going to modify what we call the osteotomy, which is basically the hole that the implant's gonna sit into. I'm gonna change the shape of that. The implant's the same, but I'm gonna change the shape of that because of the tactile feedback that I'm getting from the bone. And then it's, you know, it's, it's little things like, um, uh, you know, making sure you're using a good lab. Because a lot of people, they'll, they'll, to try to keep their cost down to be competitive, they'll use a cheaper lab and have more problems. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's another issue. So again, I don't restrict myself on labs. I find labs that just do the best job of what they possibly can. I just pass that cost on to the fee, but uh, feel that fee on to the, to the patients. But again, I'm in a fortunate position where, you know, I'm, I'm that busy that I can afford to do that to patients. And I speak to patients, again, not with arrogance, but with just pure confidence you want me to do it this is my fee if you want cheaper i I can guarantee you can get cheaper elsewhere i said but if i do cheaper that means i've got to cut cut corners i said i wouldn't be happy doing that for me i said so i'm not going to do it for you and for me that that works really nicely so again it's it's understanding implants to such a high level that you tweak your, your your surgical procedure and your restorative procedure accordingly in order to achieve these long lasting results. That's what it comes down to, in my opinion. That's phenomenal, mate. Thank you. And you know, when you talk about that stuff, 
You get passionate, bro. You get flipping yeah. excited. You do, man. It's awesome. I, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I can see it. It's cool, bro. I really appreciate it. And you know what? So all those things that you said, right? Let's say here's here's what was popping into my head just as you yeah. as you were talking, right? Let's say you had a top three, okay, yeah. and no particular order. Is that yeah. easy for you to put the top three things that dentists could improve on? together is that something you could do off the cuff right now because that i would find that really interesting yes so firstly i would say knowledge because it will pr improve all, all, all aspects of your uh, uh, of your treatment planning and again that comes down to quite often people will just do one or two courses so they will be taught one way to graft and uh, or they'll be taught one way to place implants um so the more knowledge you have it just empowers you more and more okay yeah uh, secondly is understand your implants and do enough of them so that you can build up a really good uh, muscle memory and then what happens is is if something happens during surgery is you can almost feel it going wrong or you can feel it going right and then you can manipulate what you're doing on the fly to improve the patient outcomes and sometimes things don't go according to plan if it doesn't go according to plan you need the skills and the knowledge to be able to uh, uh, uh to be able to to, to correct yeah, it yeah. okay and then uh the final one i would say is soft skills because the better better your soft skills a the more people will go excuse me go ahead with treatment uh but b the more uh, is if things go wrong patients are generally more forgiving if you've built up that that rapport with them not everybody's going to be and what we're finding is patients are becoming um uh they're becoming more demanding now because i think because of the economy because they feel that they're parting with their hard-earned money so they want even more value for money so we have to up our games still so knowledge uh the uh, uh doing enough and understanding your system inside out and back to front and uh and and then having the soft skills those those are the main three things i would say would start to improve overall profitability and uh, and efficiency very very quickly boom 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 one two three i love it my man <laughs> and you know what you know when it comes to this sort of stuff the reason why i really love podcasts like this yeah there's two types of there's two types of investing. There's investing where we grow our capital long term and it really Absolutely. takes years for us to see results. And then there's yeah. the things that we can talk about when it comes to investing. And one of those things, which is investing in ourselves, investing in our knowledge that you can literally yeah. go to work tomorrow and make more money. And that's the sort of thing that we talked about on today's podcast. Yeah. And that's why these are so flipping powerful. And I have absolute 100% faith. There's probably about a million, billion, trillion things more like that in your head yes. pav oh yeah oh yeah. yeah i think this is the tip of the iceberg pav is on the group dr pav kara that's k-h-a-i-r-a -A. and pav you run courses for dentists which help them improve their clinical ability and implants and also profitability as well i believe yeah so what i'm doing is i am putting together an online training platform and uh, i've got a launch uh, offer at the moment um the website is academyofimplantexcellence.com um, and it's just because I'm passionate about it. You know, a lot of my mentors, they were trained by P.I. Branamark himself, okay? And they have Prof. Branamark's philosophy within them, and then they've then instilled Prof. Branamark's philosophy within me as well. And that philosophy is really quite simple, is we need to teach other dentists genuinely as much as we can about implants, because that way we get to help more patients, the outcomes improve, and the science progresses. 
You know, if I teach just a little bit of my knowledge, then who's that helping? Absolutely nobody. Whereas if I put everything that I have into it and dedicate myself and, like, you know, impart as many pearls of wisdom as what I can, everybody starts to benefit. You know, it's, uh, you know, my mentees benefit, you know, uh, um, and the, ultimately the patients will benefit. And that goes back to the promise that I made to my grandfather, to, to myself in, in my grandfather's name. And, th and again, this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about implant dentistry and about teaching, because I, I just love it. I could just, you know, I could talk titanium wow. all day. You know, I'm sure I sleep there at nighttime, you know, kind of like, like Oh, yeah. Grateful for titanium. <laughs> That's awesome. The wife's going to be, when you just go to sleep and switch off about implants. <laughs> we'll have to ask your wife, won't we? You know, it's funny actually because, um, <laughs> what was it? I, I, I was, uh, I was in, I was asleep the other day and I was, I, there was someone else in the room and apparently I said, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along the lines of finance when I was barely conscious and she was like, <laughs> I know that you dream of it, James, because you literally speak about it while you're yeah. asleep, which, which is, which is quite funny, really. I didn't think that was a thing, but there we are. Pav, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge you. today, bro. Flipping tons of gems in there. Big respect. I love your passion, and thank I'm you. looking forward to getting you back on the podcast very, very soon. 100%. I hope we have a smashing day. See you later. Take care.